sometimes those Fabrengens finished at 6 o'clock in the morning. The whole night. 5, 30, 6 o'clock. And the Rebbe would speak and speak and speak. And there was so much of Fabrengens. There was Taira, there was Avoida, there was Chassidus, there was Mesiris Nefesh, there was Hiskashis, there was Giluyim. The Fabrengens were extraordinary. When I was a kid growing up, the latest Fabrengens that I remember, I'm talking now the 70s, my childhood, was 3 or 3.30. And by the way, 3 or 3.30 is pretty late also. They started in my days 9.30, not 8.30. 3.30. Then it changed in, in after the Rebbe's heart attack in the Mems. Even a big Fabrengen almost never went past 1 o'clock. 1.30 was very late. But well, he came in 9.30. For it was about 3 hours. 9.30 till 12. 12.30. Even the big Fabrengens. But Purim was special. No question about it. Purim was special. There was a certain spirit to the Purim Fabrengens. And the Rebbe, you can't say a fact, but you could say sort of a hergish, uh, basically. Every year Purim, the Rebbe said the same thing in other words. And the other words were very simply this. Historically, there have been many times where Jewish people tried to get Goyim to like them by being like them and they ended up getting killed, or almost getting killed. As per the Purim story. The Purim story is Yidin assimilating. That's the story. The Purim story is Yidin assimilating. The, the background of the Purim story is, and this is something which I don't know if you girls appreciate. You may have heard it, but you don't appreciate it. Golos Bovo was a very unusual Golos. Golos Bovel, which would be the first base I made there to the second, was a very unusual, I'll tell you why. Because the Jewish people were brilliant. The Jewish people, the time of the first base I make there, were an incredibly sophisticated society. They were the greatest society in the world. And when the Vukhavnetzer conquered Eretz Yisrael, and he took the spoils of Eretz Yisrael, and then later he destroyed the base I make there, the most precious thing he took were the computers. You know what the computers were? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishal, Vazai, the brains. It's, you read the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar took the greatest Jewish minds who he had just conquered and enslaved and put them in his government. The Nebuchadnezzar was successful because he took counsel from Jews. When Yidin came to Bavel, they were incredibly respected by all Goyim. Normally, when you're a nation that's been crushed and defeated in war and exiled, you're worse than dust, you're slaves. Golos Bovel was very unusual. Yidin came to Bovel and they were immediately high society. Because they were not high society because how much money they made, who they knew. They were high society because they were Jews. There was such an enormous respect for Yidin that carried over from this man by his It's very important to understand this. And I'll tell you how this played out. Yidin come to Bovel and they're respected. They're slaves. They're basically commodities. They were conquered. They were brought. But they were treated with great respect. And people wanted their advice. And people wanted to be involved with their lives. The, the, the story of God's bubble has a few tragic things. The most overriding, most overarching tragedy of God's bubble was an enormous amount of intermarriage. An enormous amount of assimilation. Yidin lived in Etisrael for uh, 800 years? More than 800 years. For a very, very long time. And of course, lived next to Israel, there were there was Yehuda and there was Yisrael. Yisrael was a mess. Yehuda, the Yidin were more or less Shabbos, 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 Sh
they moved to Bavel, and in 70 years, an incredible percentage of Yidin married Goyim. Why? The Goyim wanted to marry the Yidin. And the Yidin thought it was cool to marry somebody who was a prince, or a princess, or a person of great wealth, a person of great influence. The Sefer Ezra, the book of Ezra, right, the last one that Ezra Nehemiah, it's a whole shadow, whether it's one book or it's two books, but the book of Ezra describes Ezra's Sefer bringing the Yidin back to Yisrael, to the second base of Mikdash. And at some point in the book of Ezra, it says he stops in the middle of the trip. And he realizes how much assimilation there is, how many Yidin are married to Goyim. And he says, I swear I'm not moving from the spot till I separate every Jew from every non-Jew. And Ezra's Sefer did an act of Yichus. He made everybody prove that they were Jewish before he continued traveling to Yisrael. The Gemara says that Kol when the second base of was built, the best Jews, that means the Jews with the good yichas, that means they knew who their father was, knew who their mother was, there was no mamzeres, was no goyim, stayed in Bavel. Ezra took all the tzadahs with him. And on the way he had to Saul, he began to sift out who's a Jew and who's not a Jew. There was an enormous amount of assimilation. And the basis of the assimilation was wealth and success, not poverty and suffrage. Okay? So that's the overarching issue of Bavel. Yidin married goyim. And you know what? Here's the problem. They thought it was cool. They thought with this they made it. You know, when a Yid marries a Goy, a prominent Goy, a powerful Goy, an important Goy, a rich Goy, a respected Goy, says, oh, see, now I'm like everybody else. And then you have the two immediate stories that the Gemara brings, as you probably are aware of. The first is that Ishtachavul Etzelem, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar made a statue. He made it completely of gold, which represented Bavel. He wanted that the kingdom of Bavel should last forever. And then there's a story that he had a dream where he sees only the head is gold, and then the body is silver, and another part is copper, and another part is wood, which shows on four Goliaths, Bavel and Madai and Paras and Edem. Whatever Gavels and Madai and Yavon and Edem. But he made Jews but to tell him, and they all did, except for 300. And according to many opinions, it wasn't even an Avedazara. It was simply a statue of the king. What was the crime? If it's Avedazara, it's Avedazara. But if it's not Avedazara, what was the Aveda? The Aveda was that they were bowing down to Goyishkeit. The, the idea that they bowed down to the Tzalm of Nebuchadnezzar to be considered, they didn't do it because they were forced only. They enjoyed the idea that they were regular citizens of Bavel, and like all the other citizens of Bavel had to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and announce that his kingdom was going to last forever. Yidin became a part of that world. That was their Aveda. And then, of course, the other Aveda is the story in the beginning of the Megillah. That Nehenu Mesudasei Shaloisei Rasha. Pari made a party for 180 days. 180 days. Are you Bali Taiva? I'm asking you. You don't have to tell me yes or no, yeah? You like to have fun, yeah? How many days can you eat and drink and get chicken and party? How many days in a row before you're sick? 180 days. Hulin, the Rebbe said, Hulin, and Zaifen, the chicken, 100 non stop. Just eating and drinking and feasting and making themselves sick. Babish gross. But the some of those chaver lasted 180 days. You have to be, a, first we have to be a gibir, it'd be a bal taiva adir. You have to love pleasure like no end to it. When he finished with 180 days, he made a small little party just for a week, which is also far too much time, for the residents of Shushan. And he invited Yidin. And Yidin went. Now it's possible to say the Yidin went because they had to. Either because they were forced, because it would look bad. But nobody ever said they had to enjoy it. Right? Nehenu bisu dosh se shalei se rasha. 
They enjoyed the feast of that evil man. And the enjoyment was, look at us, we're the same like everybody else. We're not looked at as foreigners, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a parasites, as immigrants. We're like everybody else. We were invited to the party and we were given kosher wine and kosher meat and kosher kultuv, right? We were given respect and honor like everybody else. And the Aveda was Nehenu. And then the Mamish, a short time later, along comes Haman, and he almost kills every Jew in the world, and the Meshem makes a huge nest. So the Rebbe would tell the story every year, focusing on a different part of the story, and he would bring out the same point. The worst thing that Jew could do is think that in order to met the Goy to respect me and like me, in order for the Goy to stop hating me and killing me, I have to be like the Goy. History has shown over and 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 over, no, I'm say over, again, that each time Yidin tried to be like the guy, the guy turns on him overnight and he tries to kill him. Kipchute. And then, if you want to go and respect you, be yourself. And you're different. You eat different foods. You drink different wine, you drink wine differently also, you eat different bread, you have different menhagimah, different mitzvahs, and you're out of we're separated from Goyim. Between a yid and a goyim is a machitza. And that machitza cannot be violated ever. And a Jew has to stop apologizing for being a Jew. A Jew has to trap so hard, try stop tr- stop trying so hard to impress the goy with his goyish kind. When a Yid is proud to be a Jew, the Goy respects him. And when a Yid hides his Jewishness and thinks the best of the Goy to respect me is to imitate what the Goy is doing, the Goy is disgusted by him. And the Goy will always, sooner or later, remind the Jew, you're not one of us. This philosophy was the theme of all the Putin from Engels. And it's tragically true. And of course, the last example, big example of this, is the Nazis and Jews in Germany. The Jews in Germany thought that if they'll be German enough, the Germans are going to think of Jews that they just like the Germans. And there was never a place of greater hatred for Yidin and cruel, violent destruction of Jewish people than in Nazi Germany. The country which is so cultured and so sophisticated because a guy abhors a Jew. People abhor anybody who's, who's a coward, who doesn't respect himself. A guy abhors a Jew who thinks he's going to be like him. A Jew is different. But here's the chap, Chavre. You know what makes a Jew different? I hate to break it to you. Does anybody make a Jew different? They're, they're born like that. The neshama. Hashem did. And you're stuck with it. It's like a scarlet letter. Every Jew is wearing a big sign for it. I'm different. I'm a Jew. And the Rebbe said, you want to be respected? Be proud of that. You want to be despised? Be embarrassed of it. I'm going to tell you something uncomfortable. I heard from the Rebbe myself. I wouldn't repeat it otherwise. At the Rebbe Marash met a Yid on a train. The Rebbe Marash. And the Yid wasn't from and he wasn't wearing a Yarmulke and he had no simonim of a Yid. And the Rebbe Marash goes over and talks to him in Yiddish. So the man was insulted. Hayyitochen that he was able to tell that he's a Yid. So he said to the Rebbe Marash, what, what about me makes me look Jewish? And the Rebbe Marash said, you had a bris, yeah? He said, the male put the piece on your nose. The Rebbe said that. The Rebbe Marash said, and the Rebbe, I heard the Rebbe repeated by Fabrengen. A Jew cannot escape his Jewishness. Can't. And the only way to be a Jew is to be proud. Every time and effort 
the Jewish people invested in pleasing the guy by being goyish also ended in terrible, terrible, terrible failure. There's an unbelievable Rashi. It's one of my favorite Rashi's in Chumash. In Parshas Hazinu. Chadoshem mikare bo leishorem avisechem. So Rashi says an interesting thing. That sometimes people were created by desires, yeah? Idol worship. And some of the forms of idol were pretty messed up, were pretty cuckoo. Sick, crazy, disgusting, foul. And you would walk by an Avedazar and the guy would say, Zu Yehudis. Only a Jew could make such a sick Avedazar. This is a Jewish Avedazar. What's the meaning? A Yid is trying to be like the guy. So the guy should like him. But the Yid likes to be like the guy. He, he outgoes the guy. He's more goyish than the guy. So that the guy should like him. And the guy says, This a Jew made. Zu Avedazar Yehudis. And the Rebbe's whole message was, stop it. Be proud to be different. Be proud to be who you are. Don't hide. Don't apologize. Don't package it. Be a Yid. And the Rebbe says, you'll see the Muchash, the guy is going to respect you. And this is the sheet of the Rebbe. This is the sheet of from a Yid and Bechlau. It's the sheet of Babavich. And guess what? It's the God's honest truth. It's a fact of life. You know, the reform, the reform movement was built upon the idea of acting like a guy. The Zionist movement was built upon the idea that the Jews are going to have their own land and their own nation and their own language and their own culture. But Yechola Goy and Beis Yisrael, we're going to be like all of the nations. You know, when the Israel was, the Zionist idea was originally concocted, there was a Jew whose name was Ben Yehuda who created modern Hebrew. He took Lashon HaKadosh, created modern Hebrew. What did he do? In Lashon HaKadosh, there's no dirty words. There's no sewer words, there's no bathroom words, there's no profanity. It's a pure language. And he contaminated Lashna Kaidish. Why? Has to be la- we're no different than anybody else. People curse, Jews curse too. We need some good curse words. That was his Kiddish. And the Rabbein were happy about it. The Rebbe Rashad wrote that he's happy that they adulterated Lashna Kaidish. So now when they speak the language that they're speaking, they're not being Machal Hashem because there's nothing holy about it. But that was how Israelis thought. This is before, this is the turn of the century, way before the, the state was born. The Zionist idea. The Zionist idea. And they used to say, Every nation has its... Nations have prisons, yeah. Nations have murderers. We got prisons too. We have murderers also. We're like everybody else. And they prided themselves in this. The, the Rebbe screamed about this idea as well. Jews are a nation, and they're separate from everybody else, but they're different. They're different. Yesh right? You know Tanakh. You know the Megillah. Yesh Nayamechad. Yesh Nayamechad means there is a people. But Yeshna Mechad is translated, Yeshna Mechad, the people of Echad are sleeping. And Yeshna Mechad is translated that we're different. Yeshna Am Echad is a nation which is different than all others. And this was the theme of the Rebbe's Fabrengans. The Jews should be proud to be themselves. And he would argue, and he would argue, and he would argue. Be different than the Goy and see how the Goy treats you. Go ahead, in the back, talk loud. First of all, there's different sheets in Midrash. What he told Akashvedish. In other words, when you read the Pasik and Pshutesh Mikra, it's not what it says. In Pasik and Pshutesh Mikra, it says there is a nation. The Gemara explains that the story of Purim happened for the two Avedas that I just mentioned, bowing down to the Salm of Akashvedish and participating and enjoying the Feast of Ahoman 
And both of those events were trying to be like Goya. So there's, there's, there's Nagila Sester is one of the most commented upon books in the Torah. You know, the two most commented books in the Torah, or three most, are the Megillah Sester, the Agadah Pesach, and the Pirkei Avos. <laughs> there's so many Pirushim on these Sfarim, but in, in Pashtas, when you read the Gemara, this is the impression you have, that the Goy didn't want it to be like the Goy. Now, the Goy never accepted, that's the word. Even when the Yid says, I'm like you, the Goy says, yes, they're different. And that's what the Rebbe says. When a Yid tries to act like the Goy, the Goy reminds him that he's different. And the Rebbe says, let's stop acting, trying to please everybody, let's be ourselves, and they'll respect us more. And you see it from Mukhesh. I mean, if, if, if there's anything that Lubavitch stands for, Lubavitch stands for many, many things. But do you know what it means to be a very important person in the Jewish world, and you wearing a beard? And your wife wearing a shaitel? It's huge in 2023. 20, we're not talking about some schneckel in a shtetl. You know, we're talking about very powerful Yidin who are respected as the most powerful Jews in the world today. And they're wearing a beard and a hat. That's the Rebbe. And the Goy respects you more. That's what the Rebbe says. The Goy respects you more. This message was, I, I can't say it's universal, but it was the foundational teaching of many. Maybe the majority, if not all. Of Rebbe's Pudim Fabrengans. Of course, the Rebbe had 101 ways to say it. Every year he said it in a different oifen. But this was the spirit of the Pudim Fabrengans. It was very much the spirit of the Pudim Fabrengans. And of course, the Rebbe always said, I, might, I, I once made a list for Beisifka here, I did this. <laughs> How many Psukim in the Megillah have my modem on them? The Megillah is 10 Prakim. Okay? I don't know how many Psukim it is. It's, it's, I think it's less than 200 Psukim in the Megillah Sester. How many Psukim in the Megillah have my modem? I have a list of like 70 or 80. Do you imagine? There are some that you have 100. You know, um, there's many my modem. But you have my modem on Khur Karpas Vizchelis. You have a Maimon Be'elevi Bova Be'ki Nishava. If you go through all the Rabbeim, I once went through the indices of all the modem. My modem can see this on maybe a quarter or more of the different Psukha on the Megillah says. Now the Rebbe didn't say all those my modem. The Rebbe said many Maimorim based on a variety of different sources. I'm sure the Maimorim that I repeated more than once or twice. But there's so much on Purim. And uh, Purim by the Rebbe was Mashu Mashu. It was a very, very unique and powerful occasion. Does anybody want to speak or I'm going to move to individual years? That's what I'm doing now. I'm going to do individual years. I'm not going to do all of them because I just don't have. I'm going to just do a few. Go ahead. You raised your hand. You decided to change your mind. Anybody? So the first Purim I'm going to speak to is Purim Tov Shin Yud Aleph. The Rebbe becomes the Rebbe Yud Shvat, right? Purim is 33 or 34, 34 days later, Mamish. 34 days after the Rebbe accepted the Nesiyas official. How many people came to that Purim for bringing? When the Rebbe became a Rebbe Yud Shvat, 7-7 was packed, couldn't get in. Whatever they put him, you could have put the people. <laughs> There's more people in this room than were that Fabring, and I promise you. You could have put the people in a quarter of a room. There were Christ, 30 men, 40 men, how many people? And a couple of ladies in the Bible show. It was tiny. The number of Lubavitcher Hasidim living in New York at that time were close enough to New York who made the trip to participate in Fabringen 34 days after the Rebbe comes Rebbe officially was very small. I wasn't there. My father was 11. My father was almost my mitzvah. He was 12. He was almost a mitzvah a month later, okay? Um, so I wasn't there. But this is how I understand it. It was very, very poorly attended. Not a lot of people. But it was very Hamish. Bechlal, when the Rebbe first became Rebbe, 
the way the Mashpiyim described it, he was more like a father than a teacher or a king. And they never took on Gaval Mashke. And he wasn't the only one. There were other people at Mashke also. Rabbi Mentlik. People drank. Fabrengen, Purim, Fabracht. Fabrengen went on for many hours. There's a tape of the Fabrengen of Purim, Tafnir Aleph. But not all of it, just the beginning. And I guess I should start with this, because this is also very, very poignant. And I would advise you to get a hold of this, because this is very, very moving. It's incredibly moving. And the whole thing is five minutes of your life. Um, I can send you the tape. If you'll, you, you basically, today you have an Ashrenu, you can get the recordings. In that, when the Rebbe became Rebbe, the first year between Tafshin Yad Alpha and Tafshin Yad Beis, the Rebbe would not start a Maimer direct. He would start to speak a Sikha, and he'd speak a Sikha a few minutes, and then the Sikha would turn into the Maimer. His tone would change, he would start to sing the Maimer. The first time the Rebbe asked him to sing a Nigin before Dach, was the second Yudshvat. Yudshvat touching his base. The Rebbe came into the Fabrengen, there's no tape of it, and he sat down and he turned to Pshmuel Zalmanov and said, and the Rebbe said a Maimeh Basilagani. And from then on it became the custom that when the Rebbe says a Maimeh before the Maimeh does a Nigin. But for the first year, from Yudshvat touching Yud Aleph to Yudshvat touching Yud base, the Rebbe would start a Sikha, and then suddenly the Sikha would turn into the Maimeh. So the Rebbe comes to the Fabrengen of Yudshvat touching Yud Aleph, and he sits down, and like I said, you can hear this on the tape. You can read the Hanukkah, but you can hear it on the tape. The tape is unbelievably moving. And he starts off by quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah says that in the davening of Rosh Hashanah, you say Uvachain. In Atakadish, you have Uvachain Yiskadish, Uvachain Tein Pachtacho, Uvachain Tein Kovid. But just four overchains. And then you have Kadeshat of Neir Shmecha, and then you finish the Bracha. So the Zayah says that Rosh Hashanah is supposed to say three overchains. Three, not four, three. One, two, three. And you look in others, look at Nad Chabad Machzairim, they'll have only three. And if they have only three, they're missing the first one. Overchain Yiskadish is missing. The first one. Kaddish is missing. Why? Because in Tanakh, the word Uvachain appears four times. The word Uvachain, Vav Beis Chof Nun, which is Begimatia 68, which is 78, which is Begimatia Chas Doi, right? Chesed with a Vav, appears four times in Tanakh. But we only speak about three of them and we don't speak about the fourth. Why do we only speak about three of them, not about the fourth? Because the fourth Uvachain is the Vachain of the Megillah Sester. Therefore, I'm going to come to the king against the law. It's Rosh Hashanah. You're standing in Shul, and you're diving to the Eibishter, and you're saying, You don't want to say, I'm coming to the Eibishter. It's Rosh Hashanah. I'm entitled. So in most communities, based on Isaiah, they only say three Uvachains. In some communities, and we're amongst those communities, they say the fourth of Achein also. And everything I'm telling you, the Rebbe said. That's what the Reagan starts. Now, why would you say of Achein of Now, how is that good? Shoshana, Yom Kippur, it's such a holy time, it's such an earnest time. And you mentioned the idea that you're coming to the Eivishter against the law. So the Rebbe said, sometimes a person is not worthy. Sometimes a person is not prepared. Sometimes a person is not entitled. Over the Shtub 
He pushes himself out from the Rishus of HaKadosh Baruch without Rishus. And you can imagine how emotional the Rebbe was. This is the beginning of the Fabrengen. The Rebbe is very emotional. Very emotional as he's saying this. And he says, this is the lesson that no matter who you are and where you are and what you are, if you want and you push yourself, the Rebbe won't let you win. That's how the Rebbe, that's how the Rebbe opens the Fabrengen. With this Zoyhar, and even when I'm saying it, I'm, it feels emotional. The Rebbe said with an enormous amount of instructions. And after the Rebbe finishes this whole little speech, the Rebbe says, Uvechein, he actually says the words, Uvechein, I'm going to come to the king against the rules, and the Rebbe starts, The Rebbe opened the Maimer by saying, I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. That's how the Rebbe starts. The Rebbe actually says the words, you can hear the tape. Zokte breaks down and starts to cry. And there's a pause for a few seconds. And then it's the second time. But this time he's unemotional. I don't know if you know that maimer. The maimer is muge. It's the Muluk Khila Gimel, the Kibalayhudim. It's a very, very hard maimer. It's a sikh. That maimer is not based on any maimer. It's taka the Rebbe's maimer. Bakhlal Maimorim are based on the early Rebbeim. This Maimir is Hashem Leichados. This is the Rebbe's own. But that's how that Fabrengen starts. It's very, very moving. Very beautiful. And, and listen to it. The Maimir is okay, I'll forgive you, but the, the first five minutes, maybe it's not even five minutes, it's really poignant to hear how emotional the Rebbe is. Anyway, the Fabrengen goes on, and the Rebbe is saying Lechaim, and it was saying Lechaim. And towards the end of the Fabrengen, it was, a, it was a very small crowd. And it was very warm and very Hamish and very. And the Rebbe starts talking about himself. Moshe Herzen just did a piece on it now. They did an interview with him about how, how he's not right to be a Rebbe. He, Moshe Herzen describes the Rebbe got so emotional with that Fabrengen that the Rebbe put his head, he was crying, the Rebbe was crying, and he put his head on the table, and he was sobbing, sobbing. And Abbe Mentlik, who was good chicken, walked over to the Rebbe, and he leans down, and the Rebbe has his head down, and he says loud, everyone should hear. To us, there's no difference. It's the same thing as the Alter Rebbe. He told us to the Rebbe. To us, this is a month after the Rebbe became Rebbe. So the, one of the quotes from that Fabrengen, which is very famous, is that uh, the Rebbe turned to the Alter Chassidim. And he said to them, he says, I'm impressed with how great you are. He says, you're sitting here, and they put someone in the seat of Rabbi Seyed Nesiyenu. That's, you know, that's not like the earlier Rebbeim. And the Rebbe said, that the Gemara says, that when they built the second base of Mikdash, when they built the second base of Mikdash, the young people danced and the old people cried. The young people danced at the base of Mikdash. And the old people cried because they knew what the base of Mikdash is supposed to look like. He says, you and Lamavich, you saw the Rebbe Nashab, you saw the Rebbe Nayats. He says, and you to sit here and to accept what you have now is a grace gift Nazai. Again, mentally, so Rabbi, Rabbi Simpson, Eliyachal Simpson said to the Rebbe, Chesidim can't just share it, Chesidim can't. I mean, mentally said something to the Rebbe about, it's not true, it's one shal shas, he said, he told the Rebbe, Ich will nehmen mashke from the Alten Rebbe. I want the Rebbe, I want to get, take mashke from the Alten Rebbe. And the Rebbe gave him. He came over to the Rebbe, I want to take mashke from the Alten Rebbe. And the Rebbe gave him. It was one, it was a very memorable fabric, it was very personal. The Rebbe was very, very emotional. The Rebbe cried a lot. And he talked about himself, about the fact that he was the Rebbe. 
And the, the, the way the story comes down to us, I mean, I wasn't there, you understand? And the, this part of the ring is not on tape. Rabbi Mentlik was very shaky. The Rebbe had some, Rabbi Mentlik, you don't remember Rabbi Mentlik, he passed away almost more than 35 years ago. Rabbi Mentlik was a very, very big Talmud Chacham. He was a god. Rabbi Mentlik was a deep, deep lamb. He was a very big Talmud Chacham. He was a very, very big god in Nigle. Rabbi Mentlik davened every single day by Ariches. Every in the week, not Shabbos. I mean, Mentlik David every day for, for hours. He sat and davened. He was a very he was a, he was a different generation. I mean, Mentlik. I mean, Mentlik would stand by the Rebbe like a statue of marble. He didn't budge. His derecheres for the Rebbe, his bittel to the Rebbe, was bleakvul, mamish, bleakvul. He would strangers would walk into seven seventy, and they would say for fifteen minutes and say, "Who's the man with the red beard?" They saw how he stood. Yeah, so that Farakay said. He never ever got comfortable around the Rebbe. We unfortunately were far too comfortable. He stood like Mamish, like a soldier. He was the Rebbe Saramashkir. He used to give the Rebbe the Mashkir. And everything about him was bitter. And when he got chicken and he started to tell the Rebbe, no, no, you're the Rebbe. So the Rebbe at some point made a comment as Mottle, and Mottle is so. His, even Mottle can open up his mouth and speak this way, the simon that he took a lot of mashkin because he, I, I heard from people, I remember this, that they wants to shake him and put him, then push a guy drunk. The Rebbe gave him mashkin, he made him drunk, he stood like this here, the minute the Rebbe walked out, he fell down. As long as the Rebbe was in the room, he stood like a soldier, his, his sense of Rebbe, which he got from watching our Rebbe by the Friedrich Rebbe, People say he was mamish, extraordinary. But in that Fabrengen, he spoke up. He said, no, it's one Shalshalas from Alter Rebbe. It's, one, it's the same thing to us as Alter Rebbe, no difference. And it was for the Rebbe, it was, a very, it was very heartening. It was very special. I'm going to tell you one more Lashon Hara about Rabbi Mentlik, and then I'll move on to something else. Um, I heard this from Shalom Kharatonov, who's uh, one of the biggest mashbim of the Babich. He's a big maskal. He's very close to Rabbi El Khan. That... Rabbi Yael told him, Rabbi Yael Khan. Rabbi Yael Khan never saw the Fidika Rebbe. He came here a week after the Petita. He was on the ship when the Fidika passed away. He came to New York at the end of the Shiva, after the Shiva. Rabbi Yael was only 20 years old. But Rabbi Yael was very smart. Not just brain smart, book smart. He was smart, he was, a, he, was a, he was smart as a human being, as socially. And he came to Crown Heights and he checked out the scene. And in a very, very short time, he figured out who's who, you know, who's smart and who's stupid, who has seichel, doesn't have seichel, who's a mensch, who's not a mensch. He was on the ball, Rabiel was on the ball. And he figured out quite early that Mentlik is in a special category. Rabbi Mentlik is a, he's, he's very deep, powerful, powerful, powerful brain. And a chaser till the kishkis, till the mamish essence of the neshama. Rabiel saw that. And by the time he got here, Rabbi Mentlik already was a Rebbe's chaser. It was Mamish days after the Fidika passed away, and Mentlik wouldn't sit down in front of the Rebbe. So Rabbi Yale asked Rabbi Mentlik, how are you so sure? How are you so sure that this is the Rebbe? It was Mamish days after the Histalkas, after the Petita, they didn't find the Tzavah. How are you so sure? So Rabbi Mentlik said, he spoke to him in Yiddish, he said, Aduvos gezed vi de Rebbe tafem gekukt. Rabbi Mentlik said, if you saw how the Fidika Rebbe looked at this Rebbe, you would know. If you would see how the Friedrich Rebbe used to look at this Rebbe, if you would see how the Friedrich Rebbe looked at this Rebbe, you would also be his chassid. That was Rabbi Mendel. 
Anyway, one more uh, Purim, and then I'll save it for next for another class. Tafshir Gimel, the story of Hura. But the story of Hura is so remarkable. It's so remarkable because you have to know the background to appreciate the story of Hura. The story of Hura is that Yemach Shmei Stalin. Stalin was a Russia, I mean, it's hard to call anybody as bad as Hitler, but he came pretty close, let me tell you. He was such a Russia. Stalin had a politique of death. He, he believed in thinning out populations. He killed millions of his own citizens with, with full knowledge that they were going to die. It was okay. If to build a new Russia, you got rid of the old Russia. He was a man who killed with impunity. He had absolutely no conscience. He was an evil, evil, evil man, Stalin was. He was unbelievably paranoid. And he had these attacks, and they called it a purge. We take a whole class of people and kill them all. One year it was the generals, the next year it was the writers, the next year it was the actors. Just kill out a whole class and start over again. He was an anti-Semite. I mean, he was anti-everybody, but he was certainly anti-Semite. In 1953, they now know for a fact that Yusuf Stalin was in the process of finishing what Hitler started. They say that there's an explanation for it. Somehow, I just saw this recently that he voted, the Russians voted for partition. The Russians blocked, Eastern Bloc voted that Israel should become a state. And he expected that the Yidna are going to become a communist under his sphere of influence. They took his votes, they became a state, but then they went with America. So somebody, so I saw this recently, someone said that he was taking revenge. Stalin made an entire plan to kill every last Jew in Russia. And he was going to do it slowly. The beginning of what's called the doctor's plot. He accused doctors, who were all Jews, of trying to poison him and the members of the Politburo. And they arrested like 20 doctors, the most important doctors in all of Russia. They put him in prison. They accused him of the worst kind of crimes. And they put in the papers that they were hidden from the Pravda. They elected like, there's documents. They, the plan was that they were going to foment hate. They were going to have many articles about Yidin and how Yidin are dangerous and you try to kill everybody else. And the people in the street are going to start beating up Jews in the street. And Stalin was going to save them by sending them to the Far East and move them into special camps. And there was a whole cheshbon. How many are going to be killed in the cities? How many is going to die on the trains on the way to the camps? And how many are they going to have to kill when they get there? So he was Pashit setting up you know, the end of Rahman and Lassan, the final solution. And then you have Purim. It starts in February 1952, 53. And this Purim was in March. A short time after, the Rebbe is sitting at the Fabreng. And you can see the pictures. There's no one there. The, the Rebbe is already in the Shalash. He's not inside because there's no room in the shul. But you can see how many people are in the room. It's 50 people, 60 people, 70 people. The Rebbe is sitting in the Shulchan. The Rebbe looks not a day older than 22. The Rebbe looks so young. Surrounded by all his night. In the beginning of the Fabrengin, the Rebbe said a Maimachsidis, and there was many Sikhs. And towards the end of the Fabrengin, the Rebbe suddenly tells the story of Hura. And when the Rebbe told the story, everybody's standing. You can see the picture. The Rebbe is the only person sitting. Everybody, even the Rasha, everyone's standing. And they're leaning over the table as if whatever the Rebbe is saying is very interesting. And he tells the story that in 1917, the Tsar fell. I need one minute. The Tsar fell, and there was a democracy for about eight months, nine months. There was a Duma, there was a, a parliament, and there was a democratic elections. And the Rebbe Rashab said, every Chassid has to vote in the democratic elections. So it was an old Chassid, a battle that was flying. And they told him that the Rebbe said, you have to vote. So it became sacred. 
He went to the mikveh. <laughs> he put on big day Shabbos. He put on his gatel and his best hat. And he came to Mekayim Eiroh from the Rebbe to vote. He comes to the place where the voting is taking place. And he says to the other, Anash, Lubavitch says, what should I do? He says, you just do whatever I do. So uh, they vote. There's two candidates. You have to raise your finger who you're supporting. So the other Hasidim raised their finger. He also raised their finger. Then they counted the votes. And one side won and one side lost. All on the spot. And then they announced hooray for the winner. But in Russian it's not hooray, it's hurrah. Hurrah. And the Rebbe says, hurrah. There's pictures that made with his hands. And again, there's so many different versions of what happened. There's no tape of it. Hurrah. 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 Hurrah means hooray, but hurrah means he is evil. Hurrah. There's a picture of the Rebbe with a beautiful smile on his face. Hurrah. So I heard from some people that when the Rebbe finished saying hurrah three times, the Hasidim knew instinctively that they have to repeat after him. And the whole Chavre said after the Rebbe, hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And everybody understood that they're not saying hurray, they're saying he is evil. And Mamish, a minute or two later, the Rebbe started to mime Hasidus, Al-Kain caught him, the Rebbe put him. So the story was that as this is happening, Reb Shmuel, who was a very big chassid, turns to the person next to him. He was standing right behind the Rebbe, and he whispers, Stalin. The Rebbe is putting Stalin down right now. It was so momentous. It was a very small oilam. And I heard from people that the Rebbe was very earnest. But the pictures, the Rebbe is smiling. I asked up here, I once asked about myself. I heard the Rebbe say that the Rebbe was very earnest when he told the story, but apparently when he got to the punchline, he smiled. Now the end of the story was that 38 years later, in Tafshin Nun Aleph, that Maime was Muga. The Maime came out Muga from Yud Gimel, the second Maime. And they wrote in the Psach Dover that this was the second Maime the Rebbe said in the same Fabrengen. It was the first time the Rebbe ever said two Maimorim in the same Fabrengen. And we understood that it was connected to the collapse of the Tzayda Yisrael, the terrible Rosh Hashanah who died then. So they wrote this in the Psach Dover, and the Rebbe looked it over, and the Rebbe left it in. Which means that the Rebbe agreed that what had happened 38 years before was true. That the Rebbe said, Am I Mercedes? And the Rebbe liked Stalin. They didn't announce his death till, till Chai other, till a couple of days later, but Stalin died when the Rebbe told that story. That's a Maizem Purim, it's in the Babajan Rebbe, Vashdeist.